Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome to Profitable Farmer. Um, again, wonderful to have you involved with us. Today we have what I believe to be a really critical topic for family farming businesses across Australia and beyond. Um, it's a topic I think that is largely and often misunderstood um, and there is a lot of emotion often that comes up when we mention this word succession. And so it was wonderful now a week and a half ago to have Tony Cat from Catapult Wealth join our clients at our um, deep dive and I'm going to name it straight up that Tony delivered what I believe to be the single most refreshing and significant presentation on succession that I've ever seen. And so it's with that in mind that I am really excited today to explore this whole conversation of farm succession, perhaps how it's misunderstood in industry, perhaps how we can simplify it with good rigour and good planning, um, and how we can help explore, let's explore how we can help individual families across Australia navigate this conversation. So, Tony, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on. Great to have you involved. And as I say, it was just wonderful to hear your take um, and your experience and wisdom in this area, Tony. Um, so, to get us underway, what is your definition, Tony, of, of this, I'm going to say, misunderstood word, mm. succession? Well, firstly, I mean, I would argue that succession planning is a dirty word a lot in a lot of farming communities in that some people, some communities don't even like turning up to seminars locally because they're afraid of um, succession being or, or transition sometimes um, being uh, so poorly handled or so um, badly done that it's a, it can be associated with failure. And so a lot of farmers tend to not talk to each other about it. They tend to um, not talk to their advisors about it. Um, and they, uh, because they're worried about what the outcome may be and therefore worried about the, the negative consequences of it. You know, so my view is that I think uh, um, I use prefer the word transition or I'll prefer, I'll use the word the infinite game. Um, these are these are topics that um, should be just seen in a positive light. Um, you know, there's there's an old saying that a lot of um, someone planted an acorn a lot, many years ago for you to enjoy the shade you're living under today. Is that I think that's an ongoing process, and I think mm -hmm. people need to keep planting acorns. Um, you know, so so my view is that um, uh, we on good governance, good business governance, good communication good open honesty about where all the family is in in this journey is critical to good transition and um and and i think we just have to take away that negative stigma that's associated with this stuff because it's it's horrible to be honest jeremy mm. i yep. i find that um it, it can be a positive experience <laughs> is probably the feedback i'll give you yeah um but, but it's it's really important that um, the people have a good framework, which I'm happy to talk about today, a good positive mindset and a good sense of honesty and approach that and comfort and trust with one another that they can go into this and get a good outcome. Yep, yep. So perhaps before we get into that, though, just, just 
to explore, given your experience in this, what is it that keeps people from wanting to talk about this? Is it bad previous experience and worry mm. or, or mm. Is, it, is it more than that? Oh, look, I think there's a variety of factors, Jeremy. I think the first thing I will say is the biggest roadblock is normally the patriarch or matriarch of the family just doesn't want to deal with it. Look, and I'm going to throw it out there is that sometimes some of that generation get into a point where either, you know, they, they don't want to emotionally deal with it. They don't want to uh, physically deal with it. They can't. It's so complicated. It's probably another reason is that it's so complicated that they get overwhelmed by it. Um, they're afraid of upsetting the apple cart, <laughs> you know, like they go, well, we've always, this has always worked for us. So therefore, you know, the old theory, um, they always go, well, what got us here will get us there. That's completely untrue. Mm. So I'll say there's some roadblocks in that regard. Um, there's also some roadblocks in, um, I'll call it the Mexican standoff theory where you know the father or mother sit there of a family farm and go, well, we just want the kids to tell us what they want to do. And, and then you talk to the kids and the kids go, well, we just want mum and dad to tell us what they want to do. And in, inevitably what happens is no one talks to anybody. Yep. And it's very frustrating to watch. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that human nature is human. Human nature is that we don't like um, uh, hard conversations, Jeremy, you know, giving each other feedback or giving each other some honest, um, feedback about where they're heading in life or what they like or don't like or um, and also you know what bottom line is letting people down mm. I think that there is an underlying emotional issue in farming that oh well you know son number one or being stereotypical or son number two will take over and that expectation as those kids get older um, gets I'll call it ingrained just through unconscious behavior and then children or next geners feel like they're you know letting their parents down um so you know it's it is a very it, it is an emotional web of of stuff that people find very hard they're not well equipped to deal with and um therefore it just gets put on the back burner and unfortunately yeah. um that doesn't solve it no no how did you come to this space and helping families in this way, Tony? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So there was really, um, I was introduced to it uh, in two ways. One is through my job of helping farming families um, through retirement planning. So, you know, retirees would get to a certain age in their life where they'd turn up and see a financial planner and go, look, Tony, I'm 60 years of old, 60, 65 years of age, and uh, I need to retire. How do I do it? And what I was getting is a lot of people that were doing it far too late in life. They were coming to me at 65 years of age, even later. And then, you know, it's very hard to undo things or, or fix things that late. Um, the second way is I married into a farming family uh, from uh, from the Riverland and, um, and have seen from the inside out some of the hard things that go on in families of, of dealing with generational transition. And uh, so I'm officially titled an, an outlaw of the family. Um, so I married a, a daughter of a farmer and um, and have been actively involved for 20 years now of, of working through the, for the family's um, issues and and plans and goals and, and transitioning the farm from one generation to the next. So I've seen it from the outside in and the inside out. And and I, I just genuinely believe that a lot of the farmers around um, – all around the world, but more importantly around South Australia, I just sat there and looked, looked at it and they need help. 
they really need a lot of help and they mm. need a lot of good advice and they need an unbiased, unemotional person or people to be around them to help them navigate this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I recall you speaking about a dead plan versus a living plan and mm. also governance versus succession. Mm. I'd, mm. I'd love for you to explore those concepts because um, I think within that, we sort of get to bust a few myths mm. or misunderstandings around this conversation. Yeah. So I'll probably deal with the governance versus succession first. Is a, a common um, a common misconception I'll say is that people think succession planning is an event. Mm. They go, right, well, they walk into my office and say, Tony, we need a succession plan. And and the trouble with that is it's, it, it's, it's not a static document. It's not a static event. It is an ongoing event. And I believe that the way it should be approached is around if you if you approach it from I we're a business we're going to be a business for the next 30 or 40 years plus we need good governance in place and what I mean by governance is um, people have regular meetings they have agendas they have they know what hat they're wearing when so um, so they know when they're representing the business ownership they know when they're representing um, the management team um, and and through good governance of knowing um, of running a good business um, with good rhythms and 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 systems and processes, an outcome of that will be succession. So if you are um, you know you you've got a board meeting, effectively next generational ownership should always be on the agenda every meeting. It's not just once or twice every ten years. This is a constant conversation and how are we working through those issues on a monthly, six monthly, 12 monthly basis, not just every now and again. And so it's my humble belief that succession is a outcome of good governance, mm. um, not, oh, we just need a succession plan because I, I just think that just doesn't work. Um, and I, ho I hope that makes makes sense. But yeah, absolutely, it does. And just on that too, I reflect on... You know, as an example, outside agriculture, professional service firms, accounting yes. firms, law firms, yeah. um, they might not always achieve that intergenerational transition within a family, though they might. But um, would you mind just sort of using perhaps an example for how that plays out practically from a governance standpoint outside agriculture? Um, mm. Because absolutely those same business principles mm. applied well can simplify this whole piece perhaps for farming families. Yeah. Well, I mean, look inside an accounting firm or law firm or a lot of different businesses where it's not, I'll call it family related. Governance um, is crucial where you are talking about intergenerational, um, maybe share ownership, um, where you are approaching a 28-year-old a, a or 30-year-old in their career and, 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 and dealing with um, perhaps how they see their career progressing in terms of equity buy-in or profit share and, and you're talk, taking them through a journey towards perhaps being a director of the business or a, or a major shareholder of the business. It's a very structured conversation that's ongoing um, to progress someone through those those phases or stages um, of, of their career. Um, and at, at different times, those people might withdraw or they might pull out and, and sell, but it is it is clear that um, that it's it's not just a, 
um, an event that happens, you know, once every 60 years. Mm. It is, it is a, it's something that happens every month or every six months. Um, whereas, you know, and, and I'll argue just while I'm on the topic, Jeremy, is that a lot of families, I'll, I'll, I put them in two major categories. They're either a family first business or what I call a business first business. And a lot of family first businesses um, really probably are a little bit, oh, oh there's a job for, uh, you know, for for the nieces, the nephews, and everyone gets probably paid under what they should be paid, and it's sort of like, well, how do we help the family? And just let's let's do all this together, and it's more of a community uh, approach to the business. Whereas a business first business doesn't really um, place any emphasis on what your last name is or whether you're part of the family. We just want the best person for the job, and we want to know that the that the business is profitable, the business is running under the certain set of KPIs, um, that that the, that we've got the right pegs in the right holes effectively. And if someone within the family is not the right person for the job, they don't get the job. Mm. And so I think that that business first approach, and not that I'm saying either approach is right or wrong, but particularly with governance, having good governance is more of a business first approach. Yeah. And I think from a leadership standpoint, um, I like the frame that leadership's about giving people certainty. Yes. And if we think about that accounting or law firm example, that as a graduate coming into that company, it's well spelt out in policy that if I hang around for eight or 10 years and that I hit these milestones year on year for the next eight years, that as you say, I might get a profit share, I might be able to mm. um, buy in, I might at some point be able to become an active director mm. and owner in the company. I think mm. that that spelt out in policy um, is good governance and good practice outside mm. agriculture. Do you do you see a place for for that sort of forethought and that sort of structure for farming families? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, I will say that unfortunately, in in my career, I've seen too many farming families um, and next gen, as I'll call, um, live on a promise. Yep. And yep. living on a promise uh, ultimately creates. I, and I'm going to say this, um, try and say this nicely, it can create, um, I'll, I'll, I'll use this term, but it's probably not the right word, imprisonment. Mm. So if you have said, right, you've been promised the farm, you've been promised the farm, you've been promised the farm, and suddenly 20 turns into 30, turns into 35 years of age, and for 15 years you've been underpaid, promised a lot, you reach a point where you feel like you can't turn back, Jeremy. You reach yeah. a point where you go, I need to stick this out because this is what I've been promised and and that is just an, an emotional minefield particularly when you introduce um, wives or or you know partners or children into that equation and then the trouble is you know that that their expectation or their promise depending on seasons rainfall we've seen an interesting five years in you know farming mm. farming land you know things go wrong and therefore, how long is a piece of string? You know, how long do these promises go for? And so we've, what I'm trying to do is argue for the opposite of that. Um, have a framework. Um, clearly, the first stage that is super important in a family business, like the farming families, have, is the, the day that your first, you know, your 18-year-old steps back onto the farm because you want that they want that certainty they want that framework they want to know what their job is who they're reporting to they want to know what their pay packet looks like they want to know what their holidays look like mm. um, they want to know what's expected of them and and how to succeed um, they're craving that and and we shouldn't underestimate them perfect so um the other 
comment that I would like to explore is, is your reference to dead plan versus mm. living plan, Tony. Mm. So would you mind speaking to those two things for us? Yeah, so I guess, uh, unfortunately, again, the dead plan, um, and again, I'll say this lightly, um, is dying is easy, but a lot of farmers have adopted the approach over the last 20 years of me looking at this and going, well, this will all be yours when I'm gone, sort of attitude. And and yes, that can, that can be the a plan and it is definitely an important part of the process, but um, it's not the only part of the process. And so the dead plan is the will. And so, you know, what if, what if dad dies? What if mum dies? What if they both die together? What happens with the farming business or the farming entities? Um, that is a crucial part of the puzzle. And while I'm on that topic, that is um, a moving document as well. So as years glide by and the business evolves and changes and on-farm and off-farm children evolve, that dead plan needs to move all the time. Too many people, and I'm going to use my own father in, in a case, who was a lawyer, by the way, who drew up a, a will uh, when he was remarried and then didn't look at it again 20, until 20 years later when he did die at 57 years of age and he completely stuffed his will up. And it, you know, didn't move with the times, and and so you know, as much as we say, a lot of people go, oh, you know, I've done my will. It's all it's put in the bottom drawer, and people need to pick it up, reread it, check it, check in with it, understand if it's still relevant to the circumstances of the day, and if it's not, change it. You have to assume that you, you know, you in these dead when you do a dead plan, you can't assume that you die in five years' time or ten years' time. You have to assume you're going to die tomorrow, and is this dead plan written according to that? Is is it an annual thing, do you think, Tony, that that review needs to take place? Oh, look, at the very least, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm not purporting that. I mean, lawyers are expensive and things are expensive, but I'll tell you what's more expensive is is if it goes wrong. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you've seen a lot of places end up in court and it costs you hundreds of thousands of dollars to fix these things if they don't go well. And so, you know, and, and I, unfortunately, I do get sometimes the attitude, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm dead, so no one cares. Well, you know, the, your loved ones around you, you know, they, they care and you don't want to leave behind a mess. And mm. I've been involved in that and I've seen it happen. It's not okay. And so even if it, at, at a bare minimum, you pick it up on an annual basis and just reread it, have a glass of red wine, say, yep, read it. It's, it's okay. Put it yep. back in the bottom drawer, but please don't ignore it. Would you say that it's quite common that the people do have and perhaps an up-to-date will um, but the family doesn't know the contents of that until their death. Um, yeah. I, I mean, we're talking about the, that, the dead plan um, and perhaps often a lack of communication around that. Is, is that something you see mm. regularly in industry? Yeah, and, and yes, I do. And unfortunately, I see some professional advisors even recommending to clients that they don't communicate what's in their will to their children. Look again. My view is that um, you, I've I've recommended every single one of my clients that you sit your family down and you talk about it. Um, how you do that is up to each individual family. But there are a lot of things that are written in wills that need explanation, and they need discussion, and they need I'll call it flavour. Um, and therefore, um, you know, and again, I'll use my father as an example: is that he died and he left behind a will that there were so many questions I had for him about that will that once he was gone, I, you know, I can't wake him up again and ask mm. him. 
So mm. I think sitting your family around, having a chat about it, and again, maybe dealing with the fallout of that and dealing with any animosity it creates, that's okay. I'd rather deal with that up front and you could discuss it and work it through. Trying to deal with it after the fact is, is not only possible. Mm. So what is a living plan in comparison yeah, well, a living plan is just assume you live to your 100, Jeremy, I suppose, is that, I mean, it's all well and good to plan for your death, but let's plan to live 40 or so good years and, and make sure that um, what does that look like? And and that's the trouble with the living plan is a lot of people um, find that very complicated. They find it very, um, there's a lot of moving parts to it, dealing with, with all the different business entities, the emotional parts, as I said earlier. But the living plan is a plan that says, right, well, I'm going to see this business out. I'm going to transition it to the next generation and I'm going to retire and I'm going to enjoy my life. And and so it's really just planning for success is what a living plan is. Um, and success being, you know, I'm going to live till I'm 100. Um, and we just think that a living plan comprises of four major components. So the first component is a retirement plan. How is um, stereotypically mum and dad going to retire from the business? So at what income do they need? What assets do they need? How are they going to be cared for from a healthcare point of view, which is often overlooked like retirement, um, you know, aged care facilities and things yep. like that. Yep. Who's responsible for that? So what does their life look like? What are their wishes and, and how do they want it to look? So that needs to be a documented retirement plan. It's one thing for the um, mum and dad to have that in mind and in their head and, again, have not shared that down the line. But I guess you're talking about having a documented and written and regularly updated formal retirement plan for the older generation is that correct 100 percent. thank you and, and yep. yeah 100 percent. and, and that, that ultimately um you know even if it is it, it involves getting the age pension or things like that it, and the sooner you have that conversation the better because of asset gifting rules and centrelink rules and all these sort of things that we that need to be discussed they need to be discussed ahead of time mm. and and um and so i i I guess that's probably, you know, the first step. And we, we you know, I'm firmly of the view that until that first domino falls, like mum and dad really know what their direction is, even if it's 95% of they know what they want, then at least the rest of the dominoes can fall in a sense that you can you can make some plans around them. Yeah. And, and you know, in a, in a contextual sense, I've said, Jeremy, that, you know, in a cold light of day, a transition from one generation to the next is mum and dad are the, the seller and the next generation are the buyer and and you know mum and dad need to know on what framework they're selling it you know what's the price what's the what's the what are the terms of the sale yep. and in a contextual sense the buyer being the next generation needs to know how they're buying it like what is my obligations how much do i need to pay over time do i need to pay a lump sum what what are my liabilities um what does my debt look like what am i buying um, and so contextually, a buyer and seller need to get together and agree to a set of terms. Um, and, and I think that's really important just to, to phrase it like that or frame it like that. It's a really important way to frame it. And it, in reality, that's exactly what's happening. But it's the terms often that aren't clear or aren't mm. spoken about, um, both with the on-farm children, but certainly and often with the off-farm children, Tony. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's probably again um, where I think that some some advice or sometimes the the system breaks down or the process breaks down where the off farm children either are ignored or given pretty short shrift, is that I've described the off farm children as emotional owners of the business, 
Uh, it's often in a house they've grown up in. It's where they've had their childhood memories. It's where they've probably, you know, invited their school friends around. It's where they probably had 18th and 21st birthday parties. So, yep, yep. you know, I think that the off-farm children need to clearly be involved in the conversation. Um, and they are, um, and they need to be uh, involved particularly along the way where mum and dad and any on-farm children make it clear how this is all working. And again, that's not an easy conversation to have. Um, but, um, but you know, that, that transition to off-farm children, because a lot of off-farm children perceive a generational transfer of farms as an opportunity. I'm going to use it as an opportunity given to the on-farm child. And their major beef, a lot of off-farm children, is what opportunity are we given? Mm. You know, what, what's our... What, what's our opportunity to go and start a business or get a career or earn some money or get on with our lives? And, and it's a difficult conversation to have, but it's a really important conversation to have. I would imagine that it's that perceived misalignment in opportunity that is perhaps more the issue than the actual end result. Is that fair, yeah. Tony? Yeah, it, it's often not about the money. It's just about, as I said, the opportunity. What yeah. you know, yep. what have you? It's a, it's defined as a leg up because we all know farming can go bad. We you can give an opportunity to somebody and they could lose money for the next ten years of their life, mm. and it's pretty tough going. Yep. Um, living in in remote locations, it's certainly not seen as a cup of tea. But it, it is it is definitely about the opportunity rather than the money. Um, so, the second stage, Jeremy, that I was going to talk about is behind the retirement plan is there's yep. probably three concurrent plans that we talk about with clients um, where we talk about a management plan. And so, you know, when does a 25-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 35-year-old, how are they progressing in a career sense through learning how to manage the operation? And there needs to be timeframes, responsibilities, um, job descriptions, training put around that management plan um, so that the, the next generation is learning how to to take that responsibility um, and, and that needs to be clearly outlined and framed. Um, the, the concurrently, then we talk about, um, I'll, I'm going to call it who controls the checkbook plan. Most farming families will have really probably ownership in two different um, buckets. They'll have ownership of the land or the underlying farmland in one, in a trust perhaps, and then they'll have their operating entity in another trust or a partnership. And what we're then looking for is then who, how do you progress, if the farm makes $300,000 a year in profit, um, who decides where that money goes? Mm. Who decides... Is it reinvested back in the farm? Who decides? Is it paid out as dividends? Who decides that you buy more machinery? Who decides that we expand more into more land? That that is an a, a, how do you introduce the next generation into that um, into that conversation needs planning and forethought, um, and to a point where ultimately at some point they control the whole checkbook, and and mum and dad don't control it anymore at all. So it is literally who makes the decisions around how we allocate funds um, in any normal year. And that in and of itself requires forethought and mm. transition, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yep. yep. Um, you know, and, and to do that properly, and this is also where I, I get involved, is that, you know, you need to be able to read a balance sheet, read a profit and loss, understand the, the next five-year planning 
you know, because if you just turn up to those meetings and go, well, what do we do with the 300 grand? If you've got no framework to make that decision, yeah. uh, it's really hard. So next geners need to be trained in, in getting involved either at advisory board level or, or family board level um, where they understand what the bigger picture is. They understand what all the moving parts are. They understand what the balance sheet looks like. So they can help make those decisions. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation really around um, how to manage decision-making on-farm operationally, but more so the, the key decision-making around business advancement um, between generations. Well, what happens is that you typically run into a generational change is you've got competing goals, Jeremy. Like you've mm-hmm. got competing goals where I would argue mum and dad are becoming, um, they need, you know, cash flow for retirement purposes, travel, maybe a retirement home, but then you've got the competing um, and, and also probably I will argue they're becoming more adverse in their risk tolerance. So their risk tolerance is going down, not up. Whereas then your competing generation with a 30 or 40 year old couple coming back onto the farm, their risk tolerance is high. Maybe their debt, their level of debt tolerance is high. Um, and, and then you've got competing uh, cash flow needs where um, maybe the next gen is maybe sending kids to private school or, you know, education costs or mortgage costs. So cash flow and discussing cash flow across generations is quite an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, but again, you need everyone at the meeting, you need everyone at the, at the, to discuss it, air it and talk about how you're dealing with it. Because, the, you know, as I often say, is the fairies aren't coming down and sprinkling fairy dust and making this stuff go away. The only way you're going to deal with it is to deal with it. Bring it up, air it out and take some action. Yeah. It's, it's such an important point, Tony, that um, it makes perfect sense that that younger generation coming through might have a very different set of priorities and an appetite to risk, as you say, than the older generation. Mm. But I think if, if we can frame good communication around that so that we're focusing on both of those mm. things, so it's making sure that we are respectful and acknowledging and planning for the older generation's tra- yeah. um, retirement, but then also how we achieve the generation the younger generation's goals and priorities. It can absolutely, with good communication, be a both rather than an either or, which is, I'd imagine, where conflict comes up. Spot on. And and, and ultimately, too, you know, there's, you know, I, I will argue that successful businesses, um, not just through good communication, having a good business with good cash flow and a good, you know, which you guys are doing at, at FOA, trying to teach them to run a better business, it helps make it helps those decisions, if you know what I mean. Like, if you're making half a million dollars a year, trying to decide where the cash flow goes is a lot easier than making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, but so, running a good business is still paramount. Um, and, and but there's a lot of those things I understand you can't control. Um, but the other thing I just need to understand, I want probably your your listeners to understand, is there's also a lot of emotional. Um, issues that go with cross generations. So I very clearly want to frame to the next gen is that mum and dad, you know, and particularly farmers, that they it's really important they don't lose their sense of purpose. And I want to just say that in that's probably just a, an emotional in emotional context is if if a, and I'm going to use be stereotypical if a father then is you know his son comes in and says dad you know get out of my way get out of my way I'm I'm want to do this you you know you you're stepping on my toes and I don't need you around um, that can be emotionally very hard for some of those older generational farmers and they lose their sense of purpose mm. it affects their mental health it affects then 
their partner's mental health. And, and I've seen number of cases where that ends up in really poor outcomes. And so just as a bit of advice to next gen is be very mindful of the mental health of your parents moving forward about how you handle this and what you're, how, how they react to it and the, and the timing around it. It's, it's really crucial. There's a huge element, Tony, of being respectful and patient as yes. the uh, incoming younger generation, perhaps even more so than we think we need to be, um, so that, yeah, those emotional issues that no doubt the older generation will need to navigate with any major change like this mm. um, are considered and, and part of the, the staging of, of this process. Yeah, and it's and, and once you've got a level of awareness and and or even help the next generation create and I call it a rock to hop to, you know, help them design what their next sense of purpose is, whether it be charity work or working in some other capacity, or it, it can often be a, a staged outcome um, but helping them um, go through that together rather than feel like they're working through it alone is really crucial. Yeah, absolutely. I'd imagine where for most of that generation's lives, their vision has only been around the farm and providing for their children. Um, some support from the younger generation to help them redefine a vision that might be off farm and might be focusing on new projects outside um, of the industry or of, of the property. Um, it's a really important piece in the puzzle. Yeah, it is. And, and, and if you want to, you know, and if everyone's serious about it and, you know, and, and the outcome is, um, you know, the goal is that we always want to have Christmas dinner together and enjoy our lives. You, you know, you, you're in this for everybody, not just how do we make the, I think we get a bit bogged down in how do we just make the farmer success, but there's more elements to this. And, and it might be, um, as you said, you know, getting new projects for mum and dad to get on with it. It's still part of making, I'll call this journey or this transition a success. It has to be a success for one generation and the other generation leaving, mm. not just mm. the incoming generation. Yeah. Um, yep. So uh, what, what's the fourth plan um, yeah, the under fourth, the living plan umbrella? Yeah, the fourth plan is really just around that ownership transition. Again, a lot of people make the misconception that succession is all about when does the land transfer and and ultimately the land transfer is for, for me it's always been the last piece of the puzzle to fall so you know getting the retirement plan getting the management plan getting the own the control the checkbook plan all done transferring the land is normally just the last thing and particularly um in trust and that where and and it's you know whether the land's worth five million dollars or ten million dollars or fifteen million dollars a lot of farming a lot of farms are never sold so what it's worth on paper and uh is can be largely irrelevant um but it it is seen as a as a, it is something that is done and it has to be part of the plan but i don't think people put far too much emphasis on it too early on and i think that it's um it needs to be dealt with but not dealt with until probably nearly last mm -hmm. so the operational transition I think it's a fair comment that it's the operational asset that probably makes most of the money mm. um, farming the capital asset. So I guess your focus in the f up front is, is it more around 
the transition of operations and the operational asset? Is that what yeah. you're alluding to? Well, good, good, good operational outcomes will just lead to, uh, I think, will be key here. And, and, I, and I often use the phrase where income drives your lifestyle, assets don't drive your lifestyle. So income, uh, you know, pays for the bills. Income pays for, you know, helps you get more debt if you want to buy more land. Income helps these things. The assets atypically don't. Um, you can have a lot of assets but not have, be able to pay bills. And so, driving the operational side and making sure that is efficient, running well, I know, and controlling the controllables, which I, I understand is a big issue, is is crucial. And so, yes, that is a priority. Excellent, thank you. So, um, how would you suggest people make a start? If uh, let's get there, there are probably two scenarios here. Tony, one that where we've tried and failed, we've, we've, we've come together as a family and we've, we've had our first crack at this a few years ago and it didn't go well, so we just haven't revisited it. Mm. Um, or we're sort of in the early stages of needing to get this underway but not knowing where or how to start. What advice do you have for farming families on, on how to make this their priority? Yeah, I guess I'll deal with the, the full start one first is um, don't give up is probably my underline. I know that sounds easy, but um, keep trying to find the right advisors, keep trying to find the right people, trick. keep trying to have the conversation um, because ignoring it won't make it better and ignoring it won't fix it. Um, but, but ultimately, maybe rephrasing it to say that, um, you know, depending on what your roadblock is, um, rephrasing the importance of it, re, re, reframing it. Um, there will typically be where some people are stuck. There will be typically a moment in time where they become, I'll call it, unstuck. Um, and it might be a life event. It might be their health. It might be um, something that happens around them. Um, it might be a conversation. It might be a simple, a penny will drop at some point. But, um, but, but keep changing things until you get the outcomes you want mm. uh, and need I think is crucial um, giving up um, won't solve it um, and so I just encourage those clients who have had false starts um, to don't to not think that this is just a waste of time or this will never work because I could give you a, a, a long lineup of circumstances where not only will it work it is imperative <laughs> to make it work. Mm. And, mm. And, and, and if you want a successful transition from one generation to the other, you have to keep um, working on this stuff. Um, and, and on that front also, I, I do talk a bit about just building deeper relationships within the family. I think relationship building within the family where sometimes we take family for granted and, you know, where you sort of get up and you get out and work and your brother, you sort of, you, you, you assume is always going to be your brother and, and, and always be there for you. But we tend to stop building relationships with family. We stop trying. I guess there's probably a better way of framing it with one another. And I think we have to stop and continually build relationships with each other, keep doing the dinners, keep going out for breakfast, keep talking, keep taking a genuine interest in one another because ultimately then more trust will be built, better communication will be built and better outcomes will come from that. So my, my advice would be just work on the relationships. Brilliant. So, Tony, perhaps just starting in, in wrapping up, we hear perhaps in all of our communities the war stories around this and it's probably where the stereotype um, has arrived to. Would you mind sharing 
a success story? Have you got a client that, <laughs> that, that focused on this early, that got really good governance structures and even policy in place and that it's kind of preset early in their journey with a new generation coming through? Have you got a story that you might share? Yeah, look, I, I think, I mean, I do, and it, it, it's a client in South Australia that very early on identified that um, there was some risk, even at a very young age, that their um, three kids may or may not come back on the farm. Um, but we had to build it so that they, they weren't sure whether one, two or three might come back. They weren't sure if, if none would come back. And and ultimately, they, they went in um, at a very young age and put together a, a board, an advisory board around them is what we define it as. And so there's, on that board sits an accountant, um, a farm advisor and myself as the, as the financial planner, along with um, the two kids. Uh, oh, sorry, along with the parents. And that evolved over time as the kids grew up and there was a clear framework around them having to to go away and, and be educated a certain way. There was clear policies and, and discussion around that. Um, then, then that evolved where they got to an age where they invited them to come to the board meetings. So, and it was at that stage, the kids were, um, I'll call it single. So they were invited, they came along, yep. um, they were invited to contribute and they were invited to listen um, to what was going on around. And that, those meetings were held on a, uh, either a th- a th- three times a year, maybe four times a year, depending on the circumstances. Then it evolved where the kids started um, getting involved with the farming family. Um, one, two went off farm, one went on farm, but where partners then of course we had introduced people got married and what this family took was the approach that although we didn't want too many people around um i'll call it the advisory board table that they felt it was more upside than downside to invite the partners along and they thought it would create um so all of the um the kids both on farm and off farm were still invited to the advisory board meetings believe it or not and um, because it dealt with on-farm and off-farm assets, it didn't just deal with on-farm assets, and um, all the partners were involved as well. So there wasn't, they didn't run into the drama of mis- miscommunication mm-hmm. or um, things being relayed uh, poorly back to uh, their partners. Um, and then ultimately, just through constant advisory board meetings, constant agenda actions, good, good, solid, structured communication, um, they have successfully transitioned this farm to the next generation. And, and and even to the point where this family actually introduced a once a year family getaway. So what they did is they purposefully said, we just need to get away from the farm. We just want to be a family together. And so they would organize a family getaway, whether it be for a week, I don't know, the streaky bay caravan park, I don't really care where you go. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, they introduced this concept of a family getaway where they could just talk about family issues, not business issues. And they just, they had a, had a, a night where they, in the middle of, they had a room, they went through some family issues. It's, um, and every year they did this and and I felt like, and I know the feedback was it was a huge success because it helped bear out any family issues, it helped, it was the right forum for it, it was private, it was intimate and it helped develop their relationships, which, you know, as I said, a lot of people take for granted. So, um, you know, this, and, and this has been going on, I've been dealing with this family for 20 years 
And and I will argue that the next generation who pick it up when when mum and dad don't do it anymore, don't share it anymore, are going to continue with that plan, keep running the same meetings, keep running the same systems, keep some running the same processes for their kids. And and I, I think the next generation will be walking into a great system and a great governance structure that will ultimately lead to a great success. Such a great example. And I can only imagine as the outlaw coming in to that um, the, it, uh, a young man or a young lady that over time for that structure that they will feel informed, included and that um, potential issues would have to be reduced for um, having a system and a governance framework like that. What a great well, example. It, just, yeah. it looks professional. I guess on that note, I'll just probably touch on Jeremy that it, it does bring a smile, a wry smile to my face when I hear some families in very remote parts of Australia saying, you know, where they effectively, uh, an in-law is introduced to this, I'll call it the family network, and and they nearly shun them. Mm. Like they, they nearly treat them as an outcast. And I'm thinking, you know, you're in, we don't have a lot of good access to help in some of these communities. Mm. Like, don't try and don't look, you know, the, the look at this as a bad outcome, look at it as a great outcome. There's a now hopefully a great clever person that, that wants to buy into this process that, that can help build it, mm. not as a as a threat. Um, look at it as an opportunity. There can be a whole lot of fears that might come out up about things that could happen, but if we mm. let those go and just focus on um, what the opportunity might be mm. for bringing them along for the ride, I think more often than not it's going to be favourable. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Tony, thank you for your time. Um, it's been great to explore this a little further. I'm sure you and I could keep chatting <laughs> on this all day. Um, we recommend you and Catapult you. Wealth and um, to all of our listeners, um, highly recommend Tony and his team. Tony, how are people listening to this that want support professionally from you best able to make contact? Look, either um, you know, probably email or so uh, just Tony at catapultwealth.com.au or just reach out um, uh, you know, through our website. We've got an email address. So if you want to check us out and about how we do things, feel free to go through our website at um, catapultwealth.com.au. Um, uh, so, yeah, either or. I'm more than happy to take queries. We just sit down in an initial meeting and just you can we can walk through over a cup of coffee what you're going through um, what your feelings are and whether we can add any value or help in any way and um, and that initial meeting's all free so that's fine great thank you tony and i guess um as a bit of a shout out to the take control program that we run and farm owners academy is that everything we're about is helping farming families get business management structure um better communication and better governance frameworks in and around how decisions are made, how planning is done and how your farm business is managed. So it's with that in mind that I guess we see such an alignment here with Catapult Wealth where we can be working with you directly and helping you build up some of those um, business governance frameworks that in time and completely support um, the best outcome in terms of succession, especially when you're supported by professionals like Tony and his team um, from outside looking in. So, ladies and gents, I hope that that has been useful. I think it's a critical conversation. Um, 
we want to see more and more farming families. I know Tony and his team do getting this right by being proactive and by um, applying good business practice to farming dynamics in agriculture. So, um, Tony, any final comment from you? Uh, just get out and do it. Um, start the conversation today, no matter how hard it is. And, you know, I, I'm a, I've come from a baseball background, Jeremy, and so, you, you, you know, I have a saying, you can't steal second without taking your foot off first. So uh, take your foot off first and risk it. Yeah, good. Be courageous and yeah. be proactive, absolutely. Tony, thanks for your time. Great to connect again. Um, and um, to everyone listening, have a great month and we'll check in again shortly. Bye for thanks, now. Jeremy.